Dear Lord Baby Jesus, or as our brothers to the south call you, Jesus, we thank you so much for this bountiful harvest of Domino's, KFC, and the always delicious Taco Bell. I just want to take time to say thank you for my family, my two beautiful, beautiful, handsome, striking sons, Walker and Texas Ranger, or TR, as we call them. And, of course, my red-hot smoking wife, Carly, who is a stone-cold fox. Mm. Also want to thank you for my best friend and teammate, Cal Naughton Jr., who's got my back no matter what. Shake and bake. Dear Lord Baby Jesus, we also thank you for my wife's father, Chip. We hope that you can use your baby Jesus powers to heal him and his horrible leg. And it smells terrible, and the dogs are always mm. bothering with it. Mm. Dear tiny infant Jesus. Hey, we... um, you know, sweetie... Jesus did grow up. You don't always have to call him baby. It's a bit odd and off-putting to pray to a baby. Well, look, I like the Christmas Jesus best, and I'm saying grace. When you say grace, you can say it to grown-up Jesus or teenage Jesus or bearded Jesus or whoever you want. You know what I want? I want you to do this grace good so that God will let us win tomorrow. Dear tiny Jesus, your golden fleece diapers with your tiny little fat balled-up fist pawing... He was a man. He had a beard. Look, I like the baby version the best. Do you hear me? I win the races and I get the money. I like to picture Jesus in a tuxedo t-shirt because it says, like, I want to be formal, but I'm here to party, too. Because I like to party, so I like my Jesus to party. I like to picture Jesus as a ninja fighting off evil samurai. I like to think of Jesus, like, with giant eagle's wings and singing lead vocals for Leonard Skinner with, like, an angel band. And I'm in the front row, and I'm hammered drunk. Hey, Cal, why don't you just shut up? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Dear eight-pound, six-ounce, newborn infant Jesus, don't even know a word yet. We just thank you for all the races I've won and the $21.2 million. Woo! 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 Ow! Love that money that I have accrued over this past season. Also, due to a binding endorsement contract that stipulates I mentioned Powerade at each grace, I just want to say that Powerade is delicious, mm. and it, it cools you off on a hot summer day. And we look forward to Powerade's release of Mystic Mountain Blueberry. Mm. Thank you for all your power and your grace, dear baby God. Amen. 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 Let's dig in. How you guys doing? It's good to see you. Hey, uh, you know, we, we laugh at the video, but you know that we all have a picture. We all have this picture of who God is or what we think God is like or attributes of God that we somehow kind of think through. And, uh, and, and listen, all of us have this, this picture of who God is. Some of us have the picture in our living room, and it's uh, a picture of, you know, it's like Jesus with red hair and blue eyes, and he's got like a 70s feathered haircut parted down the middle so which is more what i like to call the irish jesus uh, because i don't know of any you know first century hebrews that had red hair and blue eyes with their hair parted down the middle and um but some of us have these different pictures of god we have this picture of god that's like uh, a grandfather some of us have that that it's like you know your grandfather like doesn't matter what you do you're still like a good boy you're still a good girl so you robbed a bank you're a good boy i know you didn't mean it at gunpoint, I, you know, I'm sure you weren't going to shoot. Um, you know, and, or we have this other view of God as like this, the hall monitor. 
You know, if you remember in school, you had the hall monitors. They all, they wore you know the orange vests and all that kind of stuff. And um, they, they were they were students, but then they were like trying to tell people, uh, try to tell the kids what to do. And we have this idea that God is just waiting for us to get out of line so He can bash us. And some of us have that idea. And so whenever something bad happens to us, we're sure that like this is God's judgment in our lives. That's the idea that we have of God. Some have this view of God, what I like to call the ESPN God, and that's the God that's always keeping score. And so it doesn't matter. Uh, you're always trying to earn God's love. You're always trying to earn God's acceptance. It has nothing to do with what Jesus has done. It has nothing to do with the cross or the gospel. It just has to do with, um, it's, it's about earning it. It's about getting enough points on, on the board. And, um, you know, it's a weird thing. Like you turn on Christian television, which I don't recommend because it's neither Christian nor television. Um, but, you know, there, there's something that happens. And if, if you've ever noticed, um, there's like, one program comes on and it's like, you know, God is going to judge you. And there's like, it's real heavy handed. And then there's the next program comes on and it's like, God wants to make you rich. And, and I'm like, wow, it's like two total extremes. Like God is somewhere between, you know, like daddy Warbucks and mommy dearest. He's somewhere in the middle there. Um, the problem with all these pictures is that they're incomplete and they maybe might take a, a morsel of truth and just like make a caricature out of, out of who God is. But you know, when sometimes if we just take one portion, one attribute, and we blow it out of proportion, it distorts the picture of who God is. And the Bible would actually say it this way. Uh, in, in, it's in your notes, and I hope you have your notes out. You got your pen out and all that. In, uh, first, in John chapter 1, it says this. No one has ever seen God. The only Son who is truly God and is closest to the Father has shown us what God is like. You see, people wondered what God was like until Jesus showed up. And Jesus explained God to us and gave us the perfect picture of who God is. In fact, even his disciples had asked some questions. And there's a verse up on the screen in John 14 that says this. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. And Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip? And yet you still don't know who I am. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? So I want us to consider really one thought, if we, if we can. And we're going to take a lot of twists and turns today. But I want to really consider one thought. I want to drill down on one idea. And I wish that I could say that I made it up, but I didn't. Uh, there's an author that I read when I was in college whose name was A.W. Tozer. Uh, I've read a lot of his books. But he wrote a book called The Knowledge of the Holy. And in, in the first chapter... He wrote this sentence and it's just blown me away and I've thought about it ever since. I mean, I read that book probably now 15 years ago and, uh, and he, he said these words. He said, what you think about when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Now, let me say that again. Some of you want to write that down. What you think about when you think about God is the most important thing about you. The reason that what you think about when you think about God is the most important thing about you is that it impacts everything that you do. It impacts how you live. It impacts how you treat people. It impacts why you do what you do. It impacts who you love and why you love them. And so as we began last week going verse by verse through the book of 1 John, John, as he begins the book, he, the first thing that he has to establish is who God is. Because John was writing to a group of people that were beginning to embrace things about God that simply weren't true. 
And because they were embracing ideas and pictures of God, distortions of God, caricatures of God, and, and embracing them, it was destroying their lives. It was deadly to their spiritual growth and certainly wiping out the, the very best that God had for them. And so at the beginning of, of this book, he wants to show us and establish a baseline for the rest of the book of who God is. And now, because that's what we have to build on, is the character and the attributes of God, who God is, that not only do we have to understand that in our, in, in, when it comes to our relationship with God, but that's what we build our very lives on. Because what you think about when you think about God is the most important thing about you. So if you're here and you're a brand new Christian, can I, can I tell you something? I'm so glad that you're here. This message, this is an important message for you because you're taking your first few steps in your Christian life and I want you to start them on the right foot. If you're here and you've been a Christian for a long time, can, can I tell you this? This is a really important message for you because what might be hindering your walk with God is simply a belief about God that isn't true. And some of you might be here and you haven't, you haven't made a decision to follow Jesus. You're not even a Christian yet. This is such an important message and I'm so glad you're here. And here's why. Because the very things that could have been keeping you from God are things that simply aren't even true about God. And so that's the beauty of what God's word does is that it reveals truth to us so we can see God for who he really is and embrace the reality of Jesus in our lives. And so what John is going to do in these verses that we're going to read is that he's going to reveal to us three truths about God, three foundational truths about God. So I'm going to invite you to open to first John chapter one. Those of you that have a Bible, those of you that have a smartphone, open your app to first John chapter one. We're going to start in verse five and here's what it says. It says, this is the message which we have heard from him and we declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And if you pause there and give me your attention, there's three things, three truths about God that I want to share with you this morning. Here's the first one, that God is completely good, completely good. Now, I want to talk about this because I really believe that this can be very easily misunderstood. When we hear that God is completely good, we start to think, well, maybe God's like Mr. Rogers or maybe God is like a, just a pushover. Listen, God is completely good, but he's not Mr. Rogers. God is completely good, but he's not a pushover because, you know, sometimes we will pray and sometimes we will earnestly pray for something and God won't give it to us. He'll give us an answer that's different than what we're hoping for or asking for. And you know what will happen? We will begin to think that God is not as good as the Bible advertises. But can I tell you something? That God is a loving father. A loving father that won't give us anything that will hurt us, even if we ask for it incessantly. Even if we pray for it specifically, even if we just keep at it. Um, it listen. Because he's, he loves us so much, sometimes he will say no, even though it will cause misunderstanding. We'll wonder, man, is God really good because I prayed for this and he hasn't given it to me. The other day I took my family to lunch and as we were leaving the restaurant, we, uh, we came out and the kids, my, I have three kids, as some of you know, a five-year-old, my son will be three next month, and then uh, a five-month-old daughter. And um, my five-year-old Mia and my son Xander, who's almost three, they, they, we're walking out and they see this green caterp green caterpillar that's uh, uh, there on the sidewalk and they start going crazy 
over it. Now, my kids love caterpillars and centipedes and all that because when, when they ask me, uh, when, when, sometimes when uh, they're going to go to sleep, they'll say, Poppy, can you, can you tell a story? And of course, when they mean not just tell, tell any story, they want me to tell the tale of the mysterious Maximilian centipede, secret agent. And this is a, this is a centipede who speaks with a British accent. He is a secret agent. He's a spy and uh, he knows all this like karate and all this stuff. And he he's on, goes on all kinds of adventures. And he's also a chemist because there was one, one episode where he had to like do this little like concoction that anyway, that reacted to a poison. And, um, but anyway, but man, my kids, they go nuts when I tell them about Maximilian centipede, by the way, that's patent pending. Um, and so... And so, so, but they just, they, they love the stories that I make up and I just kind of make them up on the fly of uh, Maximilian Centipede, but they got so, so they see this caterpillar and they're like, Poppy, look, it's Maximilian Centipede. And I'm like, it's not Maximilian Centipede. Can we take him home? No, you can't take him home. Please take him home. And I mean, then, you know, you know how kids, they, they act one way at home and then in public, they like throw themselves on the floor and start go, because they know the, the kids have this innate understanding that the level of embarrassment that you experience is also the level of like it increases their percentage of getting their way, which that is actually true, but it doesn't work with me. And uh, so they'll throw themselves on the floor and cry and beg and all this. And I'm like, you know, whenever you're ready, you know, I'm just going to check my phone. But whenever you're ready, I'll be ready to go. Anyway, so the. Um, and so they, they cry, you know, and listen, I did, it's not because I like to torture my kids that I didn't give them, uh, this, this caterpillar. Um, the problem is those, those green caterpillars are actually poisonous. I mean, not like poisonous, they're going to kill you, but poisonous that they'll make your hand, if they bite you on the hand, they'll make your hand swell up two or three times the size. And, um, and I just have this thing. I prefer my kids alive. And so I just think, you know, I'm just not going to do that. And, um, and so they just have this thing. I can't believe you're not giving me the caterpillar and you love me. And I'm like, I'm sorry. It's just not going to work out. And, uh, and so they go, they go nuts. And listen, this is what we do with God. You know, we pray for that relationship and we're like, oh God, please. It just, if you love me, have her love me. And God's like, you don't want her. That girl, that girl is poison. You know, um, Right. That is, by the way, the only Belle Biv DeVoe quote. I'm not saying I won't quote ABC. Or what was the other band? What was the other band? Gabe, you know. What's the other band? What's it? Who knows the other band? Was it? New, no, it wasn't New Edition. It was three bands. Remember? It was the three of them. Boys to Men. Thank you. That was the most popular one. Ten, negative 10 points for Gabe. All right. So anyway... But plus 10 for you, sir. All right. Blessings to you. Uh, so anyway, there'll be more opportunities for points as the message goes on. And uh, we have a great prize for all of you. You all get a Calvary pen at the end. Uh, so, so thankfully, you've already gotten it. Um, so, but I'm telling you, you know, you pray, you want that relationship to work and it doesn't work. And then you want like, you know, this, this job or whatever it is that we want to happen. And you know what the thing is that happens? Sometimes... We have this idea that we see the whole field. We see everything that's happening. And then when things don't work out, we're like, no, no, no. This is the best thing for me. But you know what the Bible says? It says we see through a mirror. We see through a glass darkly. So number one, we only see one part of the field. 
The other problem is we don't even see that part of the field that well. So God sees the whole field and we're like, this would be so good. And God's like, that is death. You want to stay away from that. But I love it. You know, no, you don't. You want to get out, get out of there. And listen, this is the whole thing. And, and, and so it's like, but I don't see how that could happen. And that, that's the big problem that we have. The same way that my kids can't see how a cute little green caterpillar could harm them. And so here's how John starts. He says this. He says, God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. And, and um, let, me, let me start this way. Let me ask this question. Um, God, well, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep. That's Genesis 1.2. Genesis 1.3 says, and then God said, let there be what? Light. Right. God now says, let there be. He doesn't actually create light. He now just reveals light. So this is the thing. I used to, some of you know that I used to run a college. And so when I was teaching Genesis to the college level, this is always the first day of class as we're teaching Genesis 1. And so I would say, so when God created light, what light did God create? And then there would be some unsuspecting victim, obviously a first semester student that would raise their hand. Yes, sir. Well, God's creating the sun. And I, which is usually what they say first day of class. And, um, and I would say, well, thank you for playing, but that's wrong. And uh, because if you read Genesis correctly, you'll, you'll find that the sun, moon, and stars are created on day four. So what exactly is God creating when he creates? What is God revealing when, he, when, when light is created? Then there's this hush that comes over the room and kids start getting like these weird looks like, oh, no, what happened? I thought I knew. And now, my, you know, my world's falling apart. And I'd say, well, to answer that question at the very beginning of the Bible, I have to take you to the very end. So I, I tell them to turn to Revelation 21, which is actually in your notes. And here's what it says. It says, I saw no temple in the city for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of sun or moon for the glory of God illuminates the city and the Lamb is its light. At the end of the age in the new Jerusalem, there's no sun, but everything is well lit. How? Because the glory of God illuminates the city. So when God is creating in Genesis, it doesn't say, and then God created the light. He simply allowed light to be. He was simply revealing light, revealing his glory, which illuminates us and reveals what God is doing in the world and shows us what? That God is good because throughout, throughout the book of 1 John, there's going to be this clear delineation between light and dark, right and wrong, good and evil. And so when he says that God is light... And in him is no darkness at all. It's, he's saying that God is completely good, completely holy, completely righteous, completely true. And there is not even a hint of evil with him. You see, sometimes what we'll think is, is that we'll say, um, and I hear people say this, even Christians will say this. We'll say, you know, um, I know that what I'm doing is not the right thing, but as I think through what might happen, maybe God is allowing me to do this thing that's not right so that eventually I can do this other thing that is right. And after all, you know, God knows my heart, which is people think is like the ace of spades when it comes to anything. You know, well, you know, sure, I might be killing people, but God knows my heart, which, you know, anyway. Um, but the, it's, it's, it's this whole thing. And so we think that if I'm doing the wrong thing, but God knows my heart, it must, it must be, he must be okay with it somehow. Well, let me read to you what the Bible says. I put it in your notes in James chapter 1. It says, and remember when you are tempted... 
don't say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. Listen, God is completely good. And you know what the other thing is? God is completely good and God loves you passionately. In fact, God loves you so much that he's willing to disappoint you. He's willing to even allow you to misunderstand what he's doing by not always giving you what you want because God sees the whole field. We see one part of it and we don't even see that part that well. Here's how John goes on in chapter 1 verse 6 and he says this, For if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, here's truth about God number two. And that is that God is truth personified. God is truth personified. Now, I have this theory about people in general, and I, that includes me. Uh, so I, this hu- theory about humanity that I have, and that is that we love being lied to. Now, we say, we, you know, I just want the truth and you can't handle the truth or whatever. You know what I mean? And we, we say that, that we love, the, we want the truth. But the truth is, is that we like being lied to, right? We ask questions, you know, one spouse will ask the other, hey, does this make me look fat? Um, you know, and it's like, that's not even a truth question. That's an IQ question. Because to the level that a guy, you know, to like the longer the, 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 space between the finishing of the question and the beginning of his answer is to the level of the argument that they're going to have later. Um, when a husband, you know, maybe him and his wife are watching TV and some guy comes on, you know, TV and, and, and he asks, is he more handsome than me? And you know, what's the answer to that? Like, no way. Tall, thin, muscular. So overrated. So overrated. Um, now, let me ask you this, if I, if I can. How many of you have actually gone to a store and purchased a scale? Like, you know, one you step on. Can I ask that? Uh, okay, it's a little less. Than the, the, the last service, about 75% of the people had, apparently here, like 30%. And most of you have no idea what you weigh. Or that or you're just using the one at Publix. Um, you know, so, because that's totally accurate. Um, you got all these people, like, taking their, slamming their luggage on there before they go to the airport. Uh, Maybe that's just the public's near my house. Um, But here's what happens. Like, if you've ever gone to buy luggage, uh, to buy luggage, I'm sniffling into that. (laughs) I don't recommend that either. Talk about a hassle. Uh, But if you've ever gone to buy a scale, here's what you do. And it's like all scales are made the same. It's got the little box and then it has like the cellophane on top because everybody knows what they're going to do. Like, even the companies know. You're going to put it on the ground and then you're going to step on it. And you're going to go, oh, this one's totally broken. Let me see another one. Huh, this was broken too. It says the same thing as that one. And so you line up like six of them and then you find one that says like 0.1 pounds less than all the others. And you're like, this is it, baby. Take, wrap it up. Take two, one for each bathroom. And, uh, and, and now here's what happens. Is it like, you know, four out of five scales agree, but you're going to take the one that's lying to you. Uh, and why? Because listen, we like it because sometimes like, you know, accepting the truth is a little more difficult. And that's part of the problem that we have with God sometimes, because God is the personification of truth. That's how John describes Jesus in John chapter one. 
It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, God does not deal in shades of gray that we get caught up in. Instead, that's why throughout 1 John, it's light and dark, good and evil, Christ, Antichrist, works of God, works of the devil. I mean, it's like very clear where the delineation is. So we always know where it is that we stand. Now, what happens in this, these two verses that we looked at are really about our response to light, illumination, truth. Because he says, if we walk in darkness, we don't practice truth. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with him and we, and the blood of Jesus covers us. We're forgiven. We're, we're saved. We, we, we can know, know God and know that we're going to heaven and that the spirit of God is living in us and all that. So what happens? What is our response to the light that's been given to us? There's three things that we can do. Let me give them to you quickly. Number one is that we can deny God's standards. We can deny God's standards. And that is that we just deny whatever it is that God's word has to say. We make up our own rules and we're just going to live our own way. And then the problem with that is then we wonder why things don't work out. Now, can I just share something with you? And this is really important if you're a younger Christian, that God does not give us commands for the sake of just to like, just for the sake of giving us things to do or not to do or to kind of bum us out or keep us from having fun. God gives us commands. And in fact, John would say in another place, he would say that in his commandments are not burdensome. But the whole point of his commands, listen, are for us to live the very best life possible. And so that's why, when th- that's why things don't work out when we don't do it God's way. That's why relationships go sideways and families fall apart and plans and dreams and aspirations that we have never come to fruition. Why? Because when you live in darkness... You never get any real momentum because if you've ever walked in darkness, all the lights have been out in your house and you're walking in darkness. You know what you find? You always run into things. You're always, you can't really get any momentum because there's always something that you're bumping into. You're always hurting yourself. You're living in fear when the, when you're in the dark, listen, and there's only one remedy to living in darkness. And that is to turn the lights on. That's why Jesus would say it this way in John chapter 3. There's no judgment against anyone who believes in him. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. And the judgment is based on this fact. That God's light came into the world. But people loved darkness more than light. For their actions were evil. And so what happens? But see, we can deny God's standards. But you know what the other thing we can do? And this is a little more common in the church. And this is number two. This is where we can defy God's standards. Defy God's standards is where we acknowledge that God has standards, that God has commands, that there is light and there is dark, there is right, there is wrong. But those rules just happen to not apply to me. They are, they are very good for everybody else. And I would affirm them for everybody else. It just so happens that God has given me a free pass. And God just, you know, and you know how that is. And it's, and what we try to do in those situations is we try to straddle the light and the dark. We want the blessing of living in the light while we actually do things that are darkness. The Bible would say it this way in second Corinthians chapter six, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be partner with wickedness? How can light 
live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? Can there be, uh, how can a believer be partner with an unbeliever? What union, union can there be between God's temple and idols? You see, there's so much here um, that, that we could use to, to, to apply this, but um, mostly this verse is used, and you've probably heard me in the past talk about this, that this is um, a, a great text to talk about those, um, you know, for believers and non-believers to date or get married. Why? Because it doesn't work out well. And, and yet it happens all the time. And the problem is we only really see the front end of it. Well, we've gone out on a few dates and we really like each other. But see, you haven't gone to the other side of it. Whereas, um, well, we decided to get married and now we've been married a year. And now there's constant conflict and constant problems. And it's just, it's a really bad situation. Well, why is that? And the reason was, is because we have two totally different worldviews coming together into one home. And these two worldviews are now clashing over everything. You see, sometimes what we'll do is we'll see someone and we'll say, oh, you know, you start dating them. Oh, they're cute. God, please make them a Christian. And we'll compromise what we believe for the sake of the relationship. And the reason that we do that is because we haven't thought this all the way through. I mean, so how how far is this relationship really going to go? So are are, are you going to get married? Well, you know, think about it. You're going to have kids and how are you going to raise the kids? Oh, I don't know. We just figured we'd let them find their own way. Yeah, because that's in the Bible. Let the kids find their own way, right? They're, you know, teach them well and let them lead the way. Show them all the beauty they possess inside. <laughs> Pop reference number two. Um, so <laughs> I'll usually quote Whitney Houston, but when it's appropriate. Um, but, so, you know, so it's like, well, what are you going to do with these kids? The Bible says train up a child in the way he should go. Well, I don't want to offend my spouse who's not a Christian. Well, how about this? How about two Christians get together and they produce what the Bible says? Here's what the Bible says. He says, for this reason, I've made you one. This is in the book of Malachi, that you might produce godly offspring. That's, that's part of the reason God actually puts two people together is that they might raise up a godly generation. But the, the challenge is, is that we'll start dating someone. Light will start getting connected with darkness, which doesn't make any sense. Why? Because we think, I know they'll change. Have you ever thought that maybe they're thinking that about you? Like, well, you know, they're into the Jesus thing, but you know, that'll pass. It's like a rash, you know, it'll go away. Uh, and, and, and what happens is, is that then comes a frustration. No, I stayed with you and you never changed. Do you understand that that's a completely unre- it's like an unreasonable expectation to put on someone that, to think that they're going to that they're, that they're going to change or that they think that you're going to change. So now you, you you're with someone who really doesn't like the very core belief of your life, that you're a Christian, that Jesus died for you, rose again, that you're, you know, going to heaven, that, that the spirit of God is living in you and changing your life. They're annoyed by that. Listen, that's just not a way to begin, middle or end, uh, have, have any kind of relationship. It just doesn't work. But see, this isn't true just with dating. I mean, I, you know, I've, I've been around long enough to talk to guy, you know, men and women who want to start companies. And so they, they decide, well, we're going to start this company and we have this idea. And that, okay, so you're going to do it. Well, I have a partner and uh, we're going to start this together. Tell me a little bit about the partner. Well, you know, he's, he's, this, you know, he's the money guy or the idea guy or he's the shipping guy or, or whatever it is. And uh, so is he a Christian? Well, not really. I mean, he stubbed his toe. I heard him calling the name of God once, but I don't think that counts. Um, and, and so, well, what, what's, the, what's the problem here? Now, listen, here, here's, let's fast forward this. 
Everything's okay now. But see, you have two totally different worldviews colliding. And what happens when you have two totally different worldviews colliding? Eventually, Christian values are going to be in opposition to, to the other decisions that want to be made. And listen, this is not to make it seem like, you know, people that aren't Christians are all horrible and demon-possessed or whatever. And they're like, oh, you know, don't get near them. Don't touch them. Carry holy water. You know, it's not, it's not, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is that it's two totally opposing worldviews coming together and they just don't mix. They just don't mix just the same way that light and dark don't mix in the same way that God's temple and idols don't mix like the text was saying. But see, when we decide, it's not that we deny God's standards. We just defy them. And we think, oh, you know, those standards are good. They just don't happen to apply for me. Because, see, my friend is different. No, he's not. Oh, no, but I know him. Yeah, but see, God knows him a little better than you do. And God understands the heart a little better than we do. And that's why, listen, we can deny God's standards, we can defy God's standards, or we can rely on God's standards. And listen, this is where we guide our lives based on what God says and experience and reap the rewards and blessing of obedience. That's why in verse 7 he says that if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we experience fellowship with God because he is light. If we want to be close to God, this is what we have to do. It's, It's walk in the light. The Bible says in Ephesians 5, For you were once darkness, but now are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. You see, this is what, this is what happens when, uh, when you walk with God. I mean, you, you become a Christian. You go from darkness to light. And now God uses you to light dark places. And our job is not to be a spotlight where we just highlight everybody's sins and you know, mistakes and all of that. Our job is not to be the fluorescent light that, you know, when, when all the lights are out and you're all watching a movie and then somebody comes home and they turn on all the lights, you're like, ah, you know, don't do, don't be that guy, you know, that, that, you know, you just blow them away when you turn the light on. No, no, no. We're called to be a flashlight of sorts. The kind of light that in the darkness, a flashlight can give clear direction of how to go from darkness to light. And if you've ever wondered why you're the only Christian in your family, This is why. Because God wants you to be this flashlight leading people from darkness to light. You say, man, why am I the only Christian in this office? This is why. Because God wants you to lead people from darkness to light. Why you're the only Christian in your class? Because God wants you to lead people from darkness to light. Why you're the only Christian even in your circle of friends or in your home? This is why. Because God is looking for people who will reflect Jesus and lead them to light. Well, here's how it goes. Look at what he says in in verse 8. He goes on. He says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I write these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not only, and not only for, not for ours only, but for the whole world. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, here's truth about God number three. And that is that God is faithful to forgive. Now, let me ask you a question for a moment, if I can. And I want you to think about this. 
why did Jesus have to die? Now, why, why did Jesus have to die? Now, if you were like the normal Christian answer, which is correct, is, well, Jesus paid the price for our sins, and that's true. But have you ever thought about this? This is what I want us to think about for a moment. Um, don't you forgive people? Haven't, has, have you ever been wronged by someone and, um, and you, you somehow forgave them? Right? But you didn't require a sacrifice, would be my guess. Right? Like someone cut you off on the road and then, you know, they asked for forgiveness. And the way you asked for forgiveness here in Miami is you just let, raise your hand like that. Sorry, you know, that, that absolves all car sins in our city. And, um, but then you make them pull over and they're like, hey, man, I'm sorry. And I said, I want you to know that I forgive you, but I will demand a sacrifice. Give me your spare tire. We'll call it even. Right? My guess is you don't ask for that. You just forgave out of the kindness of your heart. But I think all of us would agree that God is much more forgiving than we are, much wiser than we are, and much more loving than we are. So now, here's, here's my question again. Why does God require something to forgive that we don't require? Okay. Let's start from the beginning. And where is that? The beginning is in my sister's basement. Uh, one Thanksgiving, and we tend to go to, I'm from Boston, we tend to go to, to Boston uh, for Thanksgiving. And I'm in the basement of my sister's place playing darts with my two nephews. And um, so I'm there playing darts and my one nephew um, goes to do something else. My other nephew goes upstairs for a moment and it was my turn. So I'm like, all right, fine. So I throw the dart and I hit the bullseye. And I'm like going nuts and I'm ready to start talking major smack to them. And they're, neither of them are there. So I start yelling for them to come down. They come down and I'm like, check it out, sucker. And, uh, and, uh, and they're like, you didn't do that. And I'm like, yes, I hit the bullseye. And they're like, Uncle Robert, you're always joking around with your crazy jokes. And, uh, but seriously, and I'm like, listen, that's counting because I hit the bullseye. And there, and there, don't believe me. Like, try it again. I mean, the next 20, I didn't even hit the dartboard, and, uh, which is really frustrating. And, uh, and so now here's the problem is that even though I hit the bullseye once, I miss the mark regularly. Now, I bring this up because when we say, well, why did Jesus die? Well, he paid the price for our sins. Well, what exactly are our sins? I mean, the, the Greek word for, for, that we translate sin is the word hamartia, H-A-M-A-R-T-I-A. Hamartia is an archery term that means to miss the mark. It's like you're aiming for the bullseye. You got an arrow, you're aiming for it, but you miss the bullseye. You miss the mark. And so now the Bible would put it this way. It's in your notes. For all have hamartia, for all have sinned. All have missed the mark and fallen short of the glory of God. You see, when I mess up, when you mess up, when we say what we shouldn't say, when we do what we know is wrong, listen, it's missing the mark of perfection that God has established. So, all right, so the problem is we've all missed the mark, okay? I got that. Now, the next issue that we have to deal with is what is the penalty for missing the mark? And, you know, God could have made it anything. It could have been, well, you missed the mark, now you've got to mow your neighbor's lawn. That's, that's your... And so everybody's out there mowing their neighbor's lawn because they're all sinners. And so that's, that's what it is. But see, and, and that's how you're forgiven. But that's not the way that, that uh, creation was established. Creation was established in such a way that sin, missing the mark, leads to death. 
And now we have to go all the way to the real beginning, to Genesis, where the Bible would say this in Genesis 2, And the Lord God commanded them, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. From the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. That's the price for missing the mark. Death. The harshest sentence possible. And you know that sometimes this is the problem that we have. And we think, man, Jesus had to die. Just Why though? It just seems so harsh. It seems too strong. But see, in, in the book of Hebrews chapter 9, it would say that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. There's no forgiveness. That's why there was a sacrificial system set up in the Old Testament where these animals would be offered to cover sins. To cover. But see, in 1 John, he doesn't talk about covering. He talks about cleansing. There's a big difference. One is taking um, a tablecloth and putting it over the mistake that's been made. Cleansing is cleaning the whole thing and, and making, it, making it new. And so what happens is, what we'll do is, because we balk at the fact that this is so strong, that it just seems too strong, to say, oh man, but the penalty is death. I mean, that's, that just seems so harsh. And the reason that we struggle with it is because we say, well, God should forgive us, forgive me, because I'm generally good. Well, that, that might be true, but the problem is generally good is not the standard. That's not hitting the bullseye each time, every time. Good enough isn't the standard. Perfection is the standard. And by the way, once you miss once, you're someone who misses the mark. You're a sinner. Here's how the Bible puts it in James 2. It says, And the person who keeps all of the laws except one is as guilty as the person who has broken all of God's laws. For the same God who said, Do not commit adultery, also said, Do not murder. So if you murder someone, you have broken the entire law, even if you do not commit adultery. You see, what essentially James is saying, it's like getting pulled over by a police officer, going 80 in a 30, and then you tell him, Officer, you shouldn't give me a ticket. And the officer says, why? He says, because I was wearing my seatbelt. And, you know, I also, when I was gunning it at 80, I used my, my turn signal. And I'm like one of, what, three people in Miami that use a turn signal. And so I should, I mean, think about all the things I was doing right when I was speeding. And that's why I shouldn't be ticketed, but that's not the way it works. Once you break the law, you're a lawbreaker. And now justice demands payment. And my friends, that's why Jesus died. Because one of the characteristics of God is that he is just. That's why in the passage in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. There's a reason why he's faithful and just to forgive us. And listen, God does this. He sets, he says, here's, here's the standard, perfection. And if you miss the standard, you miss the mark, you don't get the bullseye every time, the penalty is the harshest standard that there could be death why so no one could ever say that god is unjust that god is unfair that god somehow is winking at or making light of sin he makes it the harshest possible thing it could be and so but then god does this he stands on the other side and he says but here's what i'm going to do because i know you aren't perfect because i know you can't be perfect because I know that the standard is so high and you'll never be able to meet it because you can't be perfect, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be perfect for you. That's why the Bible would say it this way. 
In Romans 6.23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God doesn't forgive the same way that we forgive because we aren't trying to be just in our forgiveness. Our acts of forgiveness are acts of love because we have received love and received kindness and received grace. God is both just and loving. And that's what 1 John 9 says, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. That he says, I have made the standard perfection. You can't meet the standard. So I've sent my son to die for you to to fill the gap so that now when you place your faith in him and your trust in him, guess what? The righteousness that he has, I'm going to give you. So it's not going to be about how good you can be. It's going to be about how good Jesus has been and the work that he has already done. That's why when we confess our sins, he's faithful and he's just to forgive us because he has been incredibly loving while at the same time met the standard through Jesus that he has established. You see, the deal is this, is that you and I forgive arbitrarily. That is, you forgive who you want, when you want, if you want. But see, we want God to be just. We want God to forgive. And um, so if he's going to forgive you and forgive me, I mean, he has to give everyone the opportunity to be forgiven because if he, we, if he didn't, then we would, we would all cry unfair and outrage and whatnot. But what God does is that he sets the standard to satisfy his justice and sure fairness and then show his incredible love for us. He sets the standard of perfection, but he doesn't leave us there. And even though it satisfies his justice, there's this other element of God's nature, and that is God's grace, God's mercy, God's love. That he sent his son into the world to meet the demands of the father. That's why it says in chapter 2, verse 1, he says that if we do sin, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And that he is the propitiation, which is a real big 50 cent word, which simply means that he is the one who appeased the justice of God through his sacrifice. You see, sometimes we think, well, God should just forgive the good people. And that's the problem is that we start, we're the ones deciding who's good. God says, I'm going to decide who's good. Be perfect. Can't be perfect. I'll be perfect for you. My son will be perfect for you. You place your faith in him and you'll experience the blessing of having been. That's why Jesus died. That's why God can offer forgiveness to anyone who comes to him through the cross of Jesus. You see, and here's what I believe. I believe that that's, that could be why God brought you to this place today. That it's very possible that just for you to hear this, that Jesus Christ died for you. That he died for you, that he loves you, that he's, his arms are open waiting for you. That the Bible says that if you draw near to God, that he will draw near to you. And if you were honest, here's maybe what you're thinking is that I feel like I've just been in the dark. And there's a life that I want to live and there's guilt that I experience because of all the stuff that I've done wrong. And I walk around with it every day of my life. And listen, I just wish there was this opportunity to just release it. There is. Listen, and here's what, here's what I want to do is maybe just turn on the flashlight and just show you that there's, there's a way out of darkness and into light. 
See that God wants to change your life, that he wants to forgive you, that he wants to take you to places that you never even dreamed. To forgive you of every sin that you've committed, to give you a place in his kingdom after you die, but even right now, give you peace in the present. Hope for the future. The presence of his spirit living in you. That's why the Bible says this, and, and um, it, it says Jesus speaking, he says, I stand at the door and I knock. I'm knocking. He says that if any man hears, he can open the door and I will come in. And maybe that's where you are right now, that you hear Jesus knocking on the door. And you've got a choice. The choice to open and allow him to come in. To allow him to change your life. Listen, I, 20, it was 20 years ago now that it was my older brother who shared the message of Jesus, the gospel with me, that Jesus died for me and wanted to change my life and forgive me. And listen, he shared that with me and I remember responding. I remember I was nervous when I responded because I was like, I don't, I don't know what this is. I know that I, I, I feel it. I feel like this is what God wants me to do, but man, I'm a little nervous. And I said, I don't want to keep this from doing what God wants me to do. And I, and I made that decision. I was 20 years ago. It's the best decision I've ever made. God has absolutely changed my life and taken me from one path to an entirely different trajectory that I never could have even dreamed. And I simply want to give you the same opportunity that was given to me. So let's pray together if we could. Lord, thank you so much. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that you set the standard so high but that you sent your son into the world to die for us, to prove to us how much you love us, and then to give us the opportunity to be forgiven, not by what we do, but through your son and what he's already done. And so, Lord, I know there's many in this room who today is their day. God, I pray you'd give them the courage to make the decision that I made so many years ago that today would be that day for them. Listen, with every head bowed, with every eye closed, and as we're praying together, maybe you're in the place and you're saying, I hear Jesus knocking and I want to open the door and invite him in. Can I just ask you this? Listen, if that's the case, I want to pray for you. So with every head bowed, with every eye closed, if you say, Pastor Bob, I want you to pray for me, I'm going to invite you just to raise a hand so I can pray for you. See your hands in the back. God bless you. Anyone else, you'd say, I believed all these things about God that just aren't true. And now that I hear about the true God who loves me, who invites me into a relationship with him, I want to come to know. Anyone else, simply raise your hand. I want to pray for you right now. I see your hands in the back there. In the middle, God bless you. Lord, thank you so much for hands that are raised that represent hearts that are open. And Lord, I just pray that as they take a step in your direction, that you, Lord, would do what only you can do and change a life forever. In Jesus' name.